Yes, good morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, as Joy said, my name is Owen Bechtel. I'm a member of Restoration Church. Uh, I'm also the director of Campus Outreach uh, Christian Ministry at American University. And I just want to give a special welcome, as I've seen some college students here. Uh, this is your first time. Uh, very glad that you're here. And I want to let you know just one quick announcement is that after this service, downstairs in our fellowship hall, we're going to have a free lunch for you. So come down and get some food, and I'll be sharing with you guys how you can get more involved uh, with this church at Restoration Church. So if you're a college member or a college student, we'd love for you to come downstairs with us after church. And so, as Joey said, if you can turn to John 7, that's on page 893 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. And as you turn there, let me ask you this question. What is the best invitation you have ever received? The best invitation you have ever received. So there's there's all kinds of different invitations, right? Maybe... You were invited to be a groomsman or a bridesmaid in a wedding. Maybe you were invited to play golf with a famous athlete or a celebrity. Maybe you were invited to attend a social event in D.C. with some politicians. Or maybe you were invited to apply for a job at that firm or in that career that you've, that you've been longing to be in. Or maybe you were just stuck outside in a thunderstorm one day and someone just screamed at you to come in their house. Or maybe to go like a different direction, maybe somebody invited you to be married, to be your wife, that person that you're falling in love with. Or maybe you're new to this church and, and you're trying to find friends in this new city, and maybe somebody invited you to their apartment to have dinner. Or maybe it was more of an like an informal invitation to be a part of uh, like a friend group at this church. Or maybe you're going through a hard season of life, and somebody has invited you to share your burdens with them and to care for you and love them. At, at American University, this was the first week of classes, which is a fun week, but it's also a hard week for a lot of freshmen especially. And so I've, I've talked to a lot of freshmen all week, and some just told me how it's honestly been pretty hard, and it's hard to make friends. Uh, some of them haven't had to really make friends since elementary school. It can be lonely. You can be homesick. Uh, you're living with somebody that you may or may not like very much, and they're like five feet away from you at all times. And so... Those, those, if that's you, I, I guess what you're, I think what you're longing for is just a community to be a part of, just some friends and a place where you feel that you truly belong. And so when someone offers you an invitation like these or a different one, what's happening is they're showing that they love you, that they care for you, that they appreciate and respect you. They want you to be with them. They want to share their life with you. And so our passage this morning in John seven thirty seven to 39 we're going to see an invitation, an invitation, a, a wonderful, amazing, and loving invitation from the lips of Jesus. And I want you to know this as you're reading this. This is not just for the crowd that Jesus is talking to. This invitation is for you. It's for you today. This invitation is Jesus offering you to partake in something that will give you endless joy and love and peace. So keep that in mind as we now read this passage, John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And this is the word of the Lord. So our passage starts talking about the last day of a feast. So 
The, the followers of God in Jesus' time period, 2,000 years ago, they attended various feasts and festivals throughout the year. And these were instituted by God for the purpose of reminding the people of God what he had done for them. So think about like Christmas or Easter. At Christmas, we mainly kind of look back to the birth of Christ. At Easter, we look back to the death and resurrection of Christ. And so these feasts that we see in our passage today are similar to Christmas and Easter. They were ways to look back to what God had done, uh, which we see all throughout the Old Testament, what he had done. And so we read that, that this feast, uh, it was a multi-day feast, and this is the last day of it. So everybody is about to return and, and leave and go to their homes. And so Jesus, this is what he does. The passage says that he stood up and cried out. He stood up and cried out. Many people today believe that Jesus was a passionless stoic who was pretty mild and emotionless, right? He was, for the most part, just a pretty calm and easygoing and plain and just a nice guy, right? He didn't get that angry. He didn't get that excited. He kind of just had a gentle smile on at all times and walked around all peaceful. Life just felt like a maybe a walk in the breeze for Jesus. Notice what the text says. He, he doesn't stand up and speak calmly. He doesn't stand up and speak with a stone face. He cries out. He shouted. So one translation that I read said this. Jesus cried loudly with an urgent scream. Cried loudly with an urgent scream. So that's the state Jesus is in right here at this festival. Maybe you've seen a sports movie where the team, you know, plays the first half and they come in and they're losing and people are bickering at each other and people are getting frustrated and some people are just really moping about. And then you, you see the pan or the camera pan over to that one guy and he's just like got his fist clenched and he's like, he's so mad. And he just stands up on his locker and he's like, we're going to win this game. You know, that's kind of what I want you to think about with Jesus here, like the passion. So it's not a perfect analogy because Jesus isn't angry at the people. But I want you to think about that passion of like a halftime at a Super Bowl moment, right? Jesus is flooded with emotion. And the message he is about to bring to these people, which we just read, is welling up inside of him. And he just can't hold it in any longer until it comes out with this urgent scream. And so now, keep that in mind as we consider what this passionate message is. And this is what he says. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So I hope you see that. This is the invitation. If you thirst, come to me. It's an invitation for the thirsty to come to Jesus and have their thirst quenched. And so Jesus, he's not talking about physical thirst. He's not giving out water bottles. He's using figurative language here. To to thirst is to need something. It's to need something. And so there are different ranges of being thirsty, from just being mildly uncomfortable during the service where you go downstairs to you're, you're in a desert and you haven't had water for days. And as we have seen in this passage, Jesus, he is crying out with a passion. And so Jesus sees their thirst. It's not just a mild inconvenience. It's an extreme problem. And so the obvious question that we have is, what is this thirst for? What, what is the thirst for? Well, I, I wonder what you think. Maybe you noticed in this passage that Jesus actually doesn't tell us what the thirst is for. He just makes the claim that if you thirst, he can satisfy it. He can quench it. So imagine you're not at Restoration Church right now, but you're in this crowd 2,000 years ago. And you see Jesus cry out, if anyone thirsts, come to me. What is going through your mind in that moment, right? What's kind of your gut reaction at the thing that you are thirsting for? 
What is it that you are longing for? What is it that you desire, that you crave so intensely? And just notice, he just leaves it open-ended. He doesn't say, if you thirst for happiness, if you thirst for purpose in life, if you thirst for love, if you thirst for God. He, He doesn't say any of that. He just says, if you thirst, come to me. And that's it. And so I want to do an exercise with you all. So if you're, if you're taking notes for me and you have your pen ready, get ready to write something down, one word. I want you to write in one tiny, write it in tiny font so your neighbor can't look over at you, right? Just, just hide that word, but write down a one word summary of what's coming to your mind right now when you hear that invitation. If you thirst, come to me, right? I don't see many people looking down and writing. Actually do it. Actually do it. What comes to your mind when you think about what do I thirst for? What do I really want? And friends, don't give the right answer. Don't give the Christian trivia answer. Give your answer. Give your honest answer. If you did give that answer, cross it out and write your real answer under it. Okay? Keep that answer there. What are you thirsting for? For some of you, this simple exercise might be actually pretty emotional. Right? You've been thirsting. You've been really thirsting for love, for a spouse, for children for just a good friend, for for happiness, for relief of pain, or for your depression and your anxiety to just go away, for your parents to stop fighting, for your spouse to respect you and appreciate you, for a meaningful career, for more money, to not be so enslaved to money, for a closer relationship with God, or maybe for your doubts and your fears to just go away. Maybe you thirst for a greater longing for heaven a greater distaste for the pleasures of this world. Maybe to not be so prideful, not be so bitter at people or so envious or arrogant. Maybe it's for sexual temptation to be gone forever. With your word in mind, whatever it is, just just consider this. Do you really believe Jesus' claim that he can satisfy your thirst? Do you really believe that? Like, really, Jesus? Like, any thirst? Like, any thirst? You're willing and willing you're willing and able to satisfy any thirst? I think if some of us are honest, we don't think Jesus can satisfy our thirst. Maybe we think that our thirsts are kind of superficial, or our thirsts just really aren't that important to him. They're not godly enough, they're not holy enough. And now now hear me clear. I don't I don't want you to picture that Jesus is some kind of like Santa Claus or a genie who just gives you what you want. This is not the point of the sermon. He's not just a butler to to do what you command, right? So this is not like what's, what's called the prosperity gospel. This is not a message that if you do certain things, if you have certain faith, you will get money and you'll get uh, good health and easy living. So this is not what Jesus is offering right here. But still, this is, a, this is a shocking claim from Jesus. He's saying that whatever your thirst is, your longing, your desire, it's ultimately and perfectly going to be found in relationship with him. In relationship with him, what, what you are, that word, what you are longing for and thirsting for is ultimately and perfectly met in Christ. And this is what I love so much about the Christian faith. It's because it's, it's all about Jesus and encountering him. Jesus is the absolute center of the Christian faith, which is not like other religions. Other religions have founders or teachers like, like Buddha or Confucius or Muhammad who they, they have teachings, they have doctrines, but they're not the center, right? The, the teachings are the center of it. But in Christianity, Jesus is the center. He is the point. He is the foundation of everything, 
right? So other religions will say, if you do this, if you're this kind of person, you will get blank, right? A good life or nirvana or some kind of afterlife or a peaceful life right now. Christianity says, come to Jesus and you get Jesus. That's what it's all about. And so a, a good religious leader, right? So think about that. Like a, like a good religious leader would not just say what Jesus just said. They would say, if you thirst, go to God. If you hunger for this or that, go to God. Jesus, what is he saying? He's saying, if you thirst, come to me. Come to me. That is shocking. That is shocking. And that's because Christianity's center is Jesus Christ himself. That's the wonderful mystery of the incarnation. And so Jesus promises that in coming to him, every single thirst you have will be quenched. And I'm not saying he's going to satisfy it in the way you want. You might never get a spouse or a child or a happy family or a meaningful career. You might struggle with doubts your whole life. You might have to fight anger and sexual temptation and pride and greed your whole life. You might wake up every day having these temptations. You might feel so bogged down in this. And so he's not going to just satisfy you in the, in the way you want. That might not be the case. But I can promise you this. Jesus can and will satisfy your deepest longings and thirst. He can and he will. He created you in his image. He knows you perfectly. He knows your deepest desires and longings. And he not only knows them, but he knows how to fulfill them. He knows better than you how to fulfill them. And we must be in response. We must be patient and open to his plans and desires. And if we are patient and open to his will, his plans, we will experience these thirsts and longings satisfied now and forever in heaven. And so maybe maybe you're hearing all this for the first time and you're just not sure. Just go to Jesus, pray to Jesus and say, I have heard that you can satisfy every thirst. Will you satisfy me? Will you satisfy me? Will you give me yourself? So here's, here's another crucial point from this passage. Did you notice what the qualifications are, the steps are to go to Jesus? The qualifications. So I've talked with many people Christian and non-Christian who feel like they can't go to Jesus as they are. They think they need to shape up and be better. That Jesus won't accept them until they become a better person. That he won't love them. Some people see Jesus as like a cold-hearted Santa Claus. Where unless you're good and kind, you're not going to get anything from him. Which that makes us believe, like, I can only come to Jesus if I've been a good person. If I go to church, if I pray. I've heard this so many times with students. Like, I'll come to Jesus, but I really just need to shape my life up. Look at this verse. The qualification is to thirst. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. That's the only qualification to come to Jesus is to thirst. You don't have to change a single aspect of your character. You don't have to do a a single action to come to Jesus. You can come to him right now. And I mean that, right? Wherever you are, whatever you did this morning or last night, you can come to Jesus right now. There is nothing holding you back. If you think that something actually is holding you back, that there's a barrier between you and Jesus, you're just believing a lie because that's not what the Bible says. Jesus says right here, there's nothing that can prevent you from coming to him. There's nothing but acceptance and love coming from Jesus' side. So no matter what you have done or what's been done to you or how far you may feel you have strayed from God or honestly how bad your first week of college was, however cold you are towards God, You can come to Jesus right now. That's his promise, right now. And so don't leave here and go home and beat yourself up for having a bad week, for living a godless life, for taking advantage of 
of God for don't go home and make a resolution to be a better person. You don't have to do any of that. You have to go home and realize you're thirsty. That's what it takes to come to Jesus. So if you thirst, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. So I really hope you have a great question coming to your mind right now. Like, what does it actually mean to go to him, right? Like, what, is, what does it mean to go to Jesus? And he actually answers that in his next sentence. He says, you look down again, he says, whoever believes, that's a key word, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So to come to Jesus is to believe in him. So he equates coming and believing to be the same thing. So let me show you another Bible verse that will be on the screen. It's uh, Romans chapter 10. (laughs) Not paying attention. Romans chapter 10. That's funny. Uh, It says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you've never read this verse, this is one of the clearest verses about what it means to become a Christian. Can you go back to that, Caleb? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's the promise. You confess he's Lord and you believe. There's two steps here. Confess and believe. That's what coming to Jesus means. It means believing in this message, believing the good news. And so listen carefully. If you've been tuning me out, listen carefully to what I'm about to say, because this is the key to understanding Christianity and the key to becoming a Christian. Your greatest problem is not lack of approval, lack of wealth or popularity or friendships. Whatever you wrote down is actually not your greatest problem. Your greatest problem is that you have sinned against God. That's your greatest problem, objectively. You have rejected and rebelled against God, the God who made you in his image, made you to be in a loving and perfect relationship with himself. Against that God, you and I have sinned. We have turned away from him. And as a result, there there actually is a barrier between you and God. And this barrier cannot be removed by what you do. This might sound like the opposite of what I just said, that there's nothing separating between you and Jesus. But this is what I'm getting at here, is that there is a barrier, but that barrier has been destroyed by Jesus Christ. He has destroyed it. Your greatest need, therefore, is to be forgiven and accepted by God and for Jesus to destroy that barrier for you. That is your greatest need. And the way Jesus took away that barrier between you and God was by what he did on the cross. That's The center of Christianity is Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection at the cross. And on that cross, what Jesus did is he took the punishment that you deserved for rejecting and rebelling against God. Jesus took all of the sin that you have and he paid for it. He paid the price for it. And Jesus, he rose again. He rose again, which proves that his sacrifice really was accepted and that now there is no more barrier between you and God. You can actually come to Jesus right now because of what he did, not because of what you did, because he went to that cross for you. And so Romans 10 says that if you confess that Jesus is Lord, so think about that. Jesus is like, he died and he rose again, not just to be your savior, which he is, but also your Lord. And so as your Lord, you must now serve him and submit to him and live for him and obey him. So confessing Jesus as Lord is pledging your allegiance to King Jesus, to love him and serve him. And then if you believe that he was raised, you will be saved. And by doing this, going back to our passage of John 6, you will never, ever thirst again. 
You will never thirst again. Your deepest desires for love and forgiveness and acceptance will be met in relationship with Jesus Christ. And this does not mean, hear me here, this does not mean your life will be easy. Your life will be perfect. doesn't mean you'll always be happy because you have Jesus. The Christian life is hard. As many of you know that, the Christian life is not this easy walk across the grass. We heard Psalm 23 earlier this month. It's the valley of the shadow of death a lot of times. But what Jesus is getting at here is that our deepest longings and desires will ultimately be met forever, right now and forever. And you will be the total opposite of thirsty. So look back at our passage. This interesting phrase Jesus says here, streams of living water will be flowing in you. Streams of living water. Think about that. It's like, it's like a fountain. It's like an ever, ever flowing fountain of water, like in nature. It just keeps going and going and going. That will be inside of you. That's how not thirsty you're going to be. You are this forever flowing and gushing stream of water. And verse 39 shows us how that happens. So when you become a Christian, God's spirit comes to dwell in you. God's spirit, the actual spirit of God is dwelling in you. So later in the gospel of John, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, I'm going to go away from you. And they're like, don't go away from us. And he says, it's better for me to go because when I go, the spirit is going to come and be with you. So all Christians here, all Christians throughout history have God's spirit in us living and creating these streams of water to satisfy and give us these desires and longings met fully. And so the spirit is what brings us to Christ, unites us to Christ, and what is creating this water of living water flowing in us. And so if you are a Christian in this room, I just, I just at this point, I want to specifically address you. So you have, you have come to Jesus. He has satisfied your thirst. But if you're honest, and maybe, you know, the word on your paper is helping you be honest, you feel like kind of a bit of a failure. You feel like you still thirst for other things. You feel like Jesus is, is disappointed in you. He's frustrated in you. You haven't treasured him how he deserves. You Maybe you continue to fall into that same sin. Or, or maybe at your community group, you just haven't been honest about your sins. You haven't been honest about your desires, your struggles. And you just feel like you're wearing a mask at church. You feel like you really can't tell people how you're actually feeling because you're a Christian, you're a church member. Maybe you have doubts about God's love for you. Or maybe you wonder if you're even a Christian sometimes. Your, your love of God just feels so cold compared to your love for other things, for, for the world, for money, for friendships, for entertainment. Those, those feel so strong. Your love for God does not. Maybe you're just feeling guilty because you haven't read the Bible in a while or you haven't prayed like you ought to. I just want to offer a reason why you may be experiencing some of these things. I think it's because, as, as Revelation 2 says, Jesus says there, I think it's because you've forgotten your first love. You've forgotten your first love. You've forgotten how life-giving and wonderful and joyful it is to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. Sometimes your, your love for God and your view of Christ can be like walking in a, on a beach in the early morning. It's really foggy. You really can't see anything anywhere. It's just foggy. And I, I think that oftentimes uh, people who kind of have this, this foggy or just this, this, this lower view of, of God I think what happens is you just kind of take your eyes off Jesus, right? Maybe it's just you start to go to church a little less or you take your spiritual life a little less serious. And as the days go by with more responsibilities, more homework, more things to do with friends, 
your your gaze towards Jesus just becomes a little farther, or just becomes a little more foggy. You start to drift away a little bit. Maybe that's you. Maybe if you're honest, that that's you. You you haven't like rejected Jesus, but it just doesn't seem like you're really going to him and loving him as you should. And if this is you, I don't want you to beat yourself up. I don't want you to beat yourself up ever again if this is truly how you feel. Instead, go to him. Go to him. Look at this passage. If anyone thirsts, that includes you. Go to him and he will satisfy you. Go to him. I hope you've seen that from this sermon. Some of you, you might have you know, read this passage and thought in your heart, okay, here's a sermon for the non-Christians. I can just kind of pay a little bit of attention, right? It's not really for me. This is for you as a Christian. Like this, this very evangelistic passage is just as much for you, Christian, as it is for any non-Christian. It's just as much for you. And that's because every person in this room has the same exact need to go to Jesus, not just one time, but all the time in your thirst. Coming to Jesus is not just a one-time thing you do for salvation. That is what it is, but it's so much more. You need to go to Jesus every day to be satisfied, every day confessing, I'm not finding my love in you. Just help me, God. Help me to love you and thirst for you. And we need to do this because if you're like me, every day you're tempted to place your love and affections in something else, something not as worthy of it, something that is a good thing in life, maybe an important thing, but not the ultimate thing. And so, Christian friend, your greatest need every day is the same need you had before you became a Christian. It's to go to Jesus. Go to him. Go to him in the Bible. Right? Study the Bible, not because you have to or because your community group is doing a a reading plan together, but study it because, because Jesus is there. Study Jesus in there. Get a good Christian book and read it with some friends or just go to the bookstall downstairs and find a book that interests you and, and just read it and go to Jesus. Maybe listen to past sermons from this church that you've missed or uh, go to our podcast and just listen about the life in our church or just ask a friend from church, like, what are you loving about Jesus recently? What are you taking away from the sermons or in your Bible reading? What do you love about Jesus? Look to him. And when you, when you go to the Bible, go to passages that kind of reflect how you are feeling in those moments, the, the struggles, the temptations you have. So if you're suffering or if you're confused about God's goodness or God's love, Go to John 11, where Jesus is weeping at the tomb of a man named Lazarus. Weeping at the tomb, even though he's about to raise him from the dead. When you're angry at a friend, and you're just, you just want revenge. You want to harbor this bitterness. You want to keep it in you. Go look at the end of the Gospels, where Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus has forgiven the people who have put him on a cross. When you feel just helplessly addicted to entertainment, just look at the things that Christ is doing that are better than most movies out there, that would be on the New York Times bestseller, the things he is doing. The the Son of God leaving his kingdom, becoming a human, becoming a servant, to live and do all these crazy miracles, all these wonderful teachings, and then to die for people who hate him. That's an amazing story. And when you feel like a like a failure, when you feel like you have let God down, like like God doesn't love you, when you feel, honestly, just terrified of Judgment Day, you're terrified. Go to John 6, 37. That's, that's what I do. It's a verse so wonderful that the 17th century pastor, John Bunyan, wrote a 200-page book on the one verse. And it's incredible. And here's the one verse. It should be on the screen behind me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Look, look at that promise. You come to Jesus. He says, if you come to me, 
I will never cast you out. No matter how bad your year has been, no matter what you said to that person yesterday, no matter how you keep falling into that same sin, if you are truly with Jesus, he will never cast you out. Never. That is an incredible promise to go to when you feel like God doesn't love you or you feel like you deserve God's judgment. Jesus is incredible. He he never gets tired of you. Look at this. He, he wants to be with him always, right? Like when people are at our house and our kids go to sleep, I'm like, go away. I need alone time. Jesus never kicks you out when the kids go to sleep, right? You, you'll never overstay his welcome. He doesn't get tired of you. He loves you perfectly. His love is just so different and so so infinitely better than ours. So I had a quote that was like the background of my phone for a full year. It was a quote from the old pastor, John Calvin. I had it. Every time I looked at my phone, I would see that quote. And it said this. It said, nothing troubles our conscience more than when we think that God is like ourselves. Nothing troubles our conscience more than when we think that God is like ourselves. Do you think that God is like you? Do you think that his love is like yours? Where if somebody says one bad word to you, you kind of just throw them out of your heart for a little while. Or if someone looks at you bad, you're kind of mad at them. Jesus is not like that. He is not like that. If Jesus' love was like that, you should have every reason to be afraid. Every reason to be afraid that you're not going to be accepted into his kingdom. But he's not a better version of you. He's not a slightly more patient or loving version of you. He is in a whole different universe of love and compassion and mercy. And you can stand on this promise that if you are his, he will never cast you out. You can stand on the promise that if you thirst, if you have any thirst, you can come to him without any barriers whatsoever because he has, de- he has defeated them and he will satisfy your thirst. And if you doubt that or you forget that or you look back in a week and you feel like you've already forgot what I said this week, his love for you doesn't change. It doesn't change. So that's for the Christian. And if you were a non-Christian here, and I know you're thirsting for something. I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know you probably, but thirsting for joy or peace or acceptance, whatever it is, I hope you see that you can come to Jesus and he will satisfy your thirst. Again, he's not just a genie, but Jesus says that everything you're looking for is ultimately going to be found in him because he is your creator. He is your God. He has made you for himself. And as the, the one author said, uh, I think it was Augustine, Long time ago, he says, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. That is the reality of your life. Your hearts will be restless until you find rest in Jesus. Because Jesus, he is the source of living water, and he is the only one who can satisfy our thirst. And there's a, there's a passage in, in John that makes me really think about thirst. So it's, it's actually later in John. Th- think about this. If you're thinking, how can Jesus really satisfy me? Right before Jesus died on the cross, he, he actually said this. He said, I thirst. I thirst. Jesus, the source of living water, said he thirsts. And I think this has two meanings. I think, one, he was, he was dying. He was being tortured. He was thirsty. But it, it can't just mean that. Because on the cross, Jesus had infinitely weightier and more painful experiences that he was going through than just a physical thirst. In fact, if you read throughout the gospel accounts of Jesus on the cross and before being tortured, he doesn't actually say a single thing about his physical pains. He doesn't even comment on them. That's because the deepest pain Jesus had was the pain of bearing the wrath of God for our sins. That was the greatest pain he bore. And so on the, on the cross, when he says, I thirst, I think what he's saying is, in this moment, I am thirsting for God, and he actually is not being satisfied. I don't know if you've ever realized that on the, on the cross, as 
As Jesus himself says in Matthew, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in all eternity, Jesus was forsaken by God. He, he looked to God, he went to him, and he was forsaken. He was forsaken. God had turned himself away. And that was because in that moment, Jesus was sin. He was bearing all the sins of the world. And so God the Father had to punish Jesus, had to punish him like he was a sinner, like all of us deserve. He had to punish him. In that moment, Jesus thirsted. He thirsted for God. He thirsted for relief of the pain. And because of God's great love for you, he did not satisfy Jesus' thirst. Because of his great love for you, he did not satisfy that thirst. So remember this. Jesus became thirsty on the cross so that you would never be thirsty. He was abandoned by God so that you would never be abandoned by God. And another interesting fact later in John, so after Jesus has has actually died on the cross, a, a soldier comes up and the soldiers want to make sure that the people on the cross were actually dead. So they stick a spear in Jesus' side and it says water and blood flowed out. Water and blood. And I'm not a scientist, so I, I don't, I'm sure there's a scientific reason why this happened. But I also see in this verse, the fountain of living water has been opened. The fountain of living water has been opened for you and me. It's just another little proof there that Jesus' death is the only way we can access this living water. It's the only way we can get that living water to well up and live inside us. It's the only way our thirst can be quenched is by the Savior Jesus dying, thirsting, and who was pierced for you. And so... Go to Jesus, Christian and non-Christian, go to Jesus. He is God. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. And he became thirsty so that you would never be thirsty. He suffered so that you would never suffer. And he died so that you would never ultimately die, but live forever with him in heaven. And know that everything you long for is truly and only found in relationship with Jesus Christ. So let me pray for us, then we'll have one more song um, to help us meditate further on this. Father, we thank you that we can come to you because the barrier has been removed. We thank you that Jesus says that if we thirst, we can come to you. And I pray that every single person here would come to you, God. We would come to you in all of our honesty, God. We would come to you if some of us are here feeling guilty, God. Some of us are here feeling cold towards you, God. We would just see this beautiful invitation that Jesus has and we would come to him. And that you would give us the gift of faith, God. Um, You promise that if we come to you, you will satisfy our thirst. So I pray that you would do that now. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.